everybody, welcome to episode 47 of Literary Disco. For today's episode, we wanted to tackle a genre we never had before, fantasy. So I turned to an old friend who happens to be a huge fan of fantasy books. We talked for over an hour, and so today's episode is one long segment on Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. But we spent a lot of time discussing the genre itself. So we hope you enjoy this episode as Todd, Julia, and I sit down with my old friend, Will Friedel. Will, could you say something real quick? Hey, how are you? Yeah, that's nice. Star to the main stage. Star to the main stage. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, I'm just to literary. You with my hand. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready to go. Oh, be quiet. Sorry. Welcome back, everybody, to literary disco. Uh, today we have a very special guest. Um, for the first time, a non-author is joining us on the disco. Well, I wouldn't say uh, that. There, we've had a couple writers on here that weren't that good. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Stephen Dow? Does Stephen Dow count as an author? Come on. So, uh, <laughs> joining us today is uh, somebody who, if anybody knows uh, my acting background, they certainly know this guy. Uh, one of my oldest and best friends, uh, Will Friedel, an actor and, um, and uh, fantasy aficionado we're gonna well for, for today's purposes <laughs> fantasy fan yes so what happened is uh, a while back we were talking uh between the three of us the, the regular disco trio about the fact that none of us are huge fantasy people and we haven't read a fantasy book on this podcast and somewhere along the way in our friendship will i noticed became a complete fantasy geek uh, which is <laughs> wow. hysterical um, actually, and let me tell you that what, counts as bullying writer that's yeah, that's wow. actually yes. bullying. and i prefer fantasy nerd okay. thank you no no no, no. The, the reason this is very funny is because when we were on boy meets world together i was 13 when the show started and will was six, 16 16 yep I was the complete fantasy geek. I was the one who played Dungeons and Dragons. I went to the Ren Fairs. I <laughs> played Magic the Gathering, which I taught Will how to play Magic the Gathering. I roped him into my geekery. That's true. And like he in was Amsterdam. the one who like played sports and like <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You know, did you, you talk guys to were girls. In, you guys were in Amsterdam playing Magic the Gathering when you were teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh Jesus. That's the thing. Will was like the cooler older guy who didn't Apparently do all this not. geeky stuff. No. So when I was when I was let's say I was sixteen or seventeen when you dragged me to Amsterdam. Will had already been to Amsterdam like every summer from the age of seventeen on. Yeah. He lived there for a while, like yeah. for about six months. Um, so he he dragged me to Amsterdam, and I you know, but basically, and then I forced him to sit in coffee shops and play Magic the Gathering. Yeah. <laughs> he forced he. I will say he forced me to play Magic the Gathering. He didn't have to force me to sit in the coffee shop. <laughs> You guys, but the Magic the Gathering was forced. You're ruining your reputations really bad. <laughs> I, I don't know if you want to do this. It's Boy Meets World. It's the whole world we were supposed to meet. That's what it was. Right. Yeah. So, actually, Will, this is a serious question. When did you get into fantasy? Because I don't think you read fantasy books while we were on the show. So I, it had to be after the show. It was strange. I was into fantasy, quote-unquote fantasy, when I was very young, and then I stopped it. I mean, I think the first book that got me into any form of literature I was in the third grade, and it was a book by Lynn Reed Banks called The Indian in the <gasps> Cupboard. Oh, yes, of course. Great book. So book. Indian in the Cupboard, it has kind of those fantasy sure. kind of ideals to it, oh, although it's, it's, it's still in... Uh, you know what we would what fantasy geeks would call this world this realm sure. this plane you know sure. gravity is still gravity in in uh, uh you know lynn reed right. banks books but it did kind of get me into that world and then when i hit about 10 or 11 i stumbled onto what are still to this day some of the greatest fantasy books ever which are piers anthony's xanth what he calls his xanth trilogy I you had read those oh, oh yeah okay. were you the one that got me into them then May, I, I, I don't even those. remember. I remember reading those a bunch when I was a kid. And they were great. You had done. Oh, okay. And he calls them his Xanth trilogy, and yeah. there's like 14 books. Yeah. Um, which is just genius. <laughs> no, there's itself. more. I think he went through the whole alphabet. He did. He? he might have now gone the, the, that kind of direction. Yeah. Do you guys know this? this these I works only have at all? one question. Does Xanth start with a yeah. Z or an X? Oh, it's got to be an X. X. That's an okay. X. Okay. <laughs> no way. And that's the <laughs> it's it's genius. Piers Anthony, like, you know, any fantasy geek will tell you that the first thing when you open any new fantasy book, usually the first thing you find is a map of the world. Right, right. Right. And when you open the cover of Piers Anthony's book, it's Florida. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's right. Hilarious. He totally he, just mapped. He, it's a map of Florida because that's where he's from, and that's right. where he created his Xanth. And it's a right. book that's essentially entirely based on on puns, 
Yeah. Um, Which and took me way too long to realize. It took me until like the third book when I was 12 or 13 to <laughs> but realize. But that's, that is to me is the genius of that yeah. series is that it is really two series in one in mm-hmm. that if you read it when you're 12, you get one thing and all the double entendres and everything else go right over your head. Right. And if you reread them again as an adult, it becomes a completely different series. Yeah. So those are one that I recommend you go back. But the, those kind of books really got me into it. And yeah. then I... Then sitting with Ryder, who, you know, you'd walk in and Ryder is sitting in his trailer at 13 reading Proust. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my and Archie Double it. Digest. You got this wrong. You got this wrong. You got exactly. this wrong. Exactly. That's how, you know. I'll show you a mandolin. And there, yeah. And why is Ryder constantly making cookies in his trailer? Um, it was one of those things where it's just I then started to read, uh, tried to read a lot of the things that Ryder was reading. Oh, you've got to read this. You got me into Kerouac and all these other type of. You type got me into Hemingway. I remember. I you, did. You, I hadn't read any Hemingway. I got it. Hemingway, especially when you're, you know, Hemingway is one of those things where it's, it's like reading Catcher in the Rye, where you know, if you read it as a 14 year old boy, it changes your entire life mm-hmm. until you read the next novel. So it is. <laughs> oh my God, this is my whole life is different because I yeah. just read Catcher in the Rye, right. and then they assign something else, and right. you know, your life changes again. But it, it, I, so I'd gotten away from fantasy, and then when I was about 17, 18, I stumbled upon. Um, what really should be read at 13 or 14 but really sucked me back into the world which is a series by David and Lee Eddings they wrote them together husband and wife team called the Belgariad the Malorian series whoa um, that's not what I, I've heard the name Eddings though Ed, oh Eddings he's a, he's a huge fantasy guy yeah. he's done a ton of stuff and they you know wrote the, the series together and they wrote the Belgariad which is five books and then the Malorian which is five books and then Polgara the Sorceress <laughs> is it a requirement that fantasy it, just go on of course. of course well again you've spent all this time building a world right. so it's like why just give it 300 pages it's right. you know you give it uh, it's a huge weight it's you you uh, you're completely absorbed in in this world if it's good and yeah. if not isn't it also based life... on some sort of demand too so if you've if you've created a great world and the fans love it they they don't want to ever leave it right i mean they just want to stay there sure. forever it's this yeah. is true and that's it's it's that's a good thing and also a bad thing and we saw that with with arguably one of the most popular fantasy series which is robert jordan's wheel of time which you Ryder, and i were just talking about which the first book came out in like 1989 and the last book came out in 2012 so there were people that were waiting over 20 years oh, to see to see this. The, the, the author himself, Robert Jordan, died with three books left. So he didn't even get to see the, the end of the series. Three books he'd plotted out or just... He, he... Plot, he knew he was, he was diagnosed with some very rare disease. He knew he was going to die. He sat down and called through all his notes, put everything together, wrote the last chapter of the last book, oh and God. then told his oh wife... Oh, my God. Yes, told his wife, said, I want you to go out. I want you to read all the new modern fantasy that's out there. I want you to find oh a fantasy God. author that you like... <laughs> And then I want you to go to him and have him or her and read and have them finish the, the series. So she actually found Brandon Sanderson, who is the book we're talking oh. about today, who ended up finishing the, the Wheel of Time. But going back to your point of being immersed in the world and, and it, a lot of it having to do with the demand, this leads to, and, and Sanderson has spoken about this a couple of times, what fantasy writers call fantasy bloat. Which is oh, where yeah, I get that we, sometimes. Eat too much lamb. Yeah, I know. Isn't it ter- not yeah. with your new coffee, though. With your new coffee, it's all gone. Fantasy <laughs> below. It is. Well, it's true. Wheel of Time was supposed to be six books long. Sure. And they loved it so much that they came up and they said, we want you to make it 12 to 14 books. Jesus Wait, Christ. Wait, they the publishers? They the publishers? They the publishers tore, came up to him and said, yeah. we want you to add more. And because of that, the books in the middle get Sunk. really boring. Right. You're sitting there and you are slogging through stuff Secondary that should have, exactly, right. and things that never matter. I remember... By by the time you're in the seventh or eighth book, the prologue to the book is 140. Pages oh my long. god, <laughs> that's crazy. That's it's re- so, so that's stupid. just the prologue can, of the book. Can I ask so that the four of us make a blood oath on something right now? What? Now that we're we're committing this to uh, to the pod waves, on our deathbeds, I I want the four of us to agree here that we're not going to have our spouses or significant others in our final days. Go out and find someone to complete our works. Uh, I want you to do that. I think that's cool. With burn notes. No, oh, Jesus. I, I want, in my last days, just to be eating hot fudge sundaes and having wild Who sex. finish the burn notice books? <laughs> Wendy. Wendy, you must find someone. Michael Weston must figure it all Wendy, out. Wendy, you must read every TV spinoff series of all time. And finish them for me. But more importantly, don't let my brother write them. Don't let Lee write them. 
I like the idea of giving someone a task on your deathbed. Yeah. I think that's pretty I think cool. A task is pretty awesome. Like, you must find this rare metal. Yes. I think that's kind of neat. Or it's just a stupid scavenger hunt. <laughs> you pass over the list before I die. You must do this. It's like, get a picture naked in front of the Eiffel Tower. Go to the Tridout house and sing the Seap song? TP well, four houses? What? Is that the thing? Can you, can you give someone else a bucket list? <laughs> this is now your bucket list. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee in her most stirring role yet. Other people's bucket list. No, it's called, it's I called think that's Honey awesome. Do, Honey Die. <laughs> wow. No, that's the cozy crime. <laughs> no, but what if you do if you're halfway through Honey Do, Honey Die and the author dies? You find someone to finish the series. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. It, but it was. It was so. You're, you, I, I remember going to the bookstore the day that the last Wheel of Time came out. And I put the book on the on the counter, and it was ten o'clock in the morning. And the woman said, "Okay, what?" It literally looked at me and said, "What is it with you people?" <laughs> and I said, "What? What are you talking about?" She said, "There was a man here that was here, and we opened the store this morning in in like a very well dressed older gentleman who said, i 'I've been waiting twenty years for this. I've taken the next four days off from work.' Oh wow. my God! Where it's just you start, and you can get just completely involved in these things, and then it's like anything else, any good television series, any good movie trilogy, any." Anything like that where you become so invested that even the shitty ones you're like I have to read them yeah. you, you can't stop now well, how much do you I mean how much I mean do you do you like the fact that it's kind of obscure I mean do you prefer more obscure fantasy stuff than like I mean you read the Harry Potter books right? I read the Harry Potter books I really did I really yeah. liked the Harry Potter right. books because I thought they were well written as opposed to like the Twilight books where you're three quarters of the way through it and just it's just the yourself. worst oh, writing in the, it's like <laughs> it's just awful yeah I think Julia said during our live show that that for you, it's like the worst books you've ever did read. Did you read all of them, yes. though, Will? Did you did you get through the whole series or you just read one Twilight book? Oh, no, I didn't even read one Twilight book. I got had, it's the only, and I'm one of those people where I will, if I'm invested, if I open it up, You're then I will, I'm, I will finish the entire thing. It's, I think, the only thing I've ever done in my life where I shut it and went, I can't, I can't do yeah. it. Hmm. Yeah. I was getting dumber with every word I read. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's like, I, I can't, I can't finish these. And I closed it and I put it away. <laughs> And, that, and it was just, that was it. So, uh, yeah. But you haven't gotten into other types of series. Like, you don't read horror series. No, and I'm not really into sci-fi, which they're kind of hand Okay, well, hand. that was a very important, this is a very important yeah. question to me. Because, so, you know, I, I've talked about my, my late great professor, Carl Krober, on this podcast before. He was my professor in college. He was a huge influence on me. And he, um, actually, his wife is a very famous fantasy sci-fi author, Ursula Le Guin. Oh, sure. Yeah, so huh. she's, like, very well, uh, no, I'm sorry, not, it's not his wife, that's his sister. Oh. His sister was Ursula Le Guin, so they grew up in the same family, and so he talked about sci-fi and fantasy a lot. And he he intentionally was like, "There's no distinction." He said, "I don't make a distinction because they operate on the same principles yeah. in terms of how the, you know they're just different sort of imaginative strains of the same yeah. exercise." And so, do you make a distinction? I mean, a lot of people make this distinction. Um, you know, I, no, because I think it is easy to see that you. I mean, again, go, going back to my genesis in in fantasy and it did start with with kind of the Indian in the cupboards and things like that but when I got older to me still the ultimate fantasy book is not even really considered fantasy it's epic poetry I think the Odyssey by Homer is is essentially the ultimate fantasy book hmm. to me yeah. um, so I was always the type of person where I, I can see where people wouldn't make a distinction where you could really say that sci-fi is fantasy in space or you could kind of say that that fantasy is sci-fi without being in space, without ships, and without, right, or without laser technology cannons. as right. advanced. Right. Right. Because even this book, this book, the Mistborn, which I should say we haven't said the title. We're talking about Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. Um, that's the book that Will had us all read. Um, it's as far as I can tell, post-apocalyptic. It could be. I mean, that was my interpretation: is that this is after the world, the Earth has been destroyed, and now it's all because there's ash falling from the sky, right. and and they talk about how it used to be green, and right. now everything's brown. So I interpreted this book as a post-apocalyptic fantasy, which could very easily be sci-fi, and also yep. using metals because the in the book they get their magical power, right. sort of magical powers from metals, which sounds very sci-fi-y. And then you think about Star Wars, which I think most people would consider sci-fi. There's a mystical element sure. to the Jedi that really feels like a fantasy. Well, sure. I, I, they're knights. I got news for you. There's a mystical element to Christians. There's a mystical element to Jews. <laughs> I got news you know, for you. 
<laughs> Let me break it down the world religions for you, motherfuckers. So the world is sci-fi and fantasy yeah. is what you're saying. Basically, this book is, is a Bible. I think any good fantasy will bleed into sci-fi. I think there's a lot of right. fantasy that is not great that doesn't make the effort to root its fantastical elements in any kind of science. So for Mistborn, for me, I know we're not talking about it yet, but as soon as it started, like, really trying to define the parameters of, like, you can't flip the metals upside down. They can only go <laughs> towards your away from you. They I can't like, pull right, the metal from your body, it. but it can yeah. pull... Oh, you vase me. Yeah, so- <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, there's... Well, that's the thing is, is I also think that's one of the reasons that I picked this book is because there's a tendency nowadays where you say to somebody who doesn't read fantasy, I want you to read fantasy, they instantly go to, well, but I don't like elves. Right, mm, yeah. and you kind of get that idea of oh well, it's it's elves and it's okay, it's going to be this type of thing, and they're going to be in the forest and they're going to blah blah blah. Right, well, it's that Tolkien. It, right. it is where that's yeah. what it is. Which we've talked about on this show. With why you know trying to answer that question, why is that? Like, why is it set in this mythic English past? You know, and I mean, there's a lot of but there's a lot of that in this uh, too. I mean, there's uh, yeah, there is a yeah, lot of that. Too. I, I, yeah, see, I, I, I didn't read post-apocalyptic. I just read other other earth-like world you know because but it does still use those same sort of pastoral england english things which i you know it's my own sort of bugaboo in reading um fantasy is like does everyone need to be lord this and lord that does everyone need to be vaguely english i mean (laughs) could they set this in portugal todd actually what i saw in this one was more dickensian Mm-hmm. Right, like there's there's cobblestone Street streets urchins, and yeah. urchins mm-hmm. and yeah. the, and balls, you know, like this sort of 19th century gowns right. and dancing. I was I was I was thrown by that because I was like, wait, what? What is you know trying to uh, to recognize what are clearly Sanderson's influences? Like what what he fantasizes? You know, he's combining these different elements. Like because I, I was thinking about even just in the way that they they use certain words or the way they describe certain things. Like they drink ale mm-hmm. and wine yep they don't drink beer and they don't drink scotch right because you can't say like scotch because that that would be too related to a place that we recognize right. yeah. but you can still say wine and ale and i'm like what does that sure. mean mm-hmm. you know like and then and, and then like the clothing they wear like they only describe it in certain terms like it's just it's really interesting like where you draw the line between like when something is generic enough to 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 make sense in a fantasy world and yet specific enough to still be familiar well to short world. of creating your own language and writing it in esperanto or whatever you know you have to use some of those simple and easy touchstones or else it's just be impossible to read i mean there i'm sure there and i'm sure will probably has examples of plenty of books where almost all of the language is something specific and different from our common spoken english right well right. game of thrones is is interesting because there are words in Game of Thrones now that I've read them all, and I know Ryder, you've read them too. Uh, I'm not sure if they're actual remote English words or just words that are so well crafted into this universe that they are mm-hmm. invented. Like I'm not, I am not sure if, for example, <laughs> I can't believe I'm admitting this. So they use Maidenhead as virginity. Is that an actual? You know, medieval term. I think that is actual. Yeah, yeah. I think that is an actual Siri, English term. Is maidenhead a term for virginity? <laughs> Checking. Here's what I found on the web. No, don't trust uh, that, Siri. <laughs> uh, it does seem to be part Here are of three uh, pictures virginity. Of anyway, if oh. I mean, that's just one of a million examples of sometimes the words are derived from the same Latin roots or whatever. I mean, actually, Harry Potter is a sure. great example of that, too where you're taking words that we know and creating something familiar yet not in any way real. Well, and, and that's what <laughs> right. that's what Mistborn does with, you know, like uh, obligator or, you know, things like that, that words that we know that have a different meaning in this particular world. Right. Right. But there's also <clears throat> there's also something a little I I don't want to say dangerous, but just interesting to me about the way that these books um can reference clear touchstones in our world. Like, okay, so the book, Mistborn opens on a ska plantation. It's just just a giant Untouchables and Specials concert. Everyone's wearing two-tone. It's like 1983. (laughs) No, 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 no. Mirror in the bathroom. There's a mirror in the bathroom. Nice. Back to the 
I think no? he's missed the, the point of it. I was, I was referring more to the use of the word plantation. Oh. Like, yeah. you have this clear reference to slavery, and it's clearly referencing our colonial slavery past in our context. And so and so you're immediately like, free the scars. But I don't even know what the scars are at this point in the book. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and it's just interesting to me the way fantasy can do that. It can play with, it can be like a really um, clear moral universe that that kind of has its cake and eats it too because it it references things in our world that we can feel justice you know like sense of justice about but then can always sort of retreat and be like oh it's just fantasy oh it's just you know it's all just make believe i mean because that's what tolkien always said right like he didn't he was like this is nothing to do with world war ii uh, or world war one this is just this is all make believe this but it's kind of like no it kind of does clearly reference like aligning powers the sauron and the you know like yeah. there's a source of evil and they're aligning over there yeah. and they're marching to take over the world and it's like how can you not see these parallels or these influences um in you know but all, i mean i think fantasy purists would argue you shouldn't that that it's sort of getting at uh essential human truths archetypes if you will that yeah. are beyond our history but then at the same time when you use a word like plantation in the first couple pages of your book when you're dealing with slavery Aren't you sure? Like clearly tapping into something. Yeah, but I think it's also you know we, we see that in every other aspect of modern life of, of of every type of of I mean whether it was Paul Revere you know uh, doing his engravings about George Washington leading an ass to Congress. I mean there you know hustler. I mean you know you've got the fake Jerry Falwell interviews and stuff like that that you can take that kind of grain of truth and mm-hmm. then go well no I didn't mean anything I didn't mean anything about it you know right. I think you see that in, in different aspects of society all the time right. where it's that kind of not necessarily joking but it's kind of it's taking one thing and, and then being able to almost cloak yourself in the mask of well no I, I didn't mean anything by that mm-hmm. I was just I figured you'd recognize something about a plantation but I'm not specifically referring to our right. own past history. with slavery or history right. like that and I also think that's the other thing with fantasy is the the joy of a lot of the questions that you guys have already asked i know get answered in the following books right so there's this is book one of three you know there's three books in this series and you've already said like well i don't know what the scar i don't well it used to be green is it post-apocalyptic i know the answers to all these things Mm -hmm. already but i can't i'm not going to tell you let let me say something though there's something about that in the book that made me crazy and i find this in a lot of books that make me crazy is someone will say i know the answer to that but i'll tell you later that that's not creating suspense. <laughs> that's just fucking with the reader. You know, that's, that's just delaying it, the inevitable. Right. I mean, it's 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 drama through obfuscation in normal human conduct or in normal ska conduct. Um, I I can't imagine that when people talk to one another, like you know, we're having conversation right now, and Will, you just did it actually. I know the answer, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you. And, of course, I'm not going to tell and you. What we normally do in a situation like this is we'd beat you to death until you gave us the answer we wanted. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm not playing a hand on Will. <laughs> but the, Thank the you. point being that no, but I mean, normally when people are presented with a mystery and someone knows the answer to that mystery, and if they say, I oh, know, but that's for me to tell you later, it, it's going to be like, no, no, dude, tell me now. No, dude, remember what? Remember yesterday when you said you knew the answer? I'd, I'd like to know now. Now. Well, now. that's the joy, is you can know now. You just have to go and buy book two. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they do it narratively in the book. That like that, It's a constant thing that happens in there that would make you go, Gah! Just tell well, yeah, all the, the secrets. Thing. Yeah, but I think they're also trying to, you want, you want, they know that you're in for the long, I mean, that's right. the thing with most fantasy is you know you're getting into a marathon and not a sprint. Mm-hmm. So you know that you're pacing yourself and you're the, the, the facts and the mysteries and everything are unfolding as you're reading the book. And you know, when they end in any good mystery or, or any good uh, fantasy, when they end, or I guess mystery too, mm-hmm. when they end, you finish a book, you can't wait to get the next one. Right. I mean, that's the right. joy is that you're sitting there going, my God, I can't, I cannot wait to get the next the volume. Of well, I also book. wonder how much of that is, is basically, is kind of the definition of genre too. You know, yeah. like we start this book and we we know there's going to be a humble hero who doesn't know that he or she is a hero mm-hmm. with who's going to rise to power right. with special powers that they're going right that is sure. kind of the fantasy the archetype and, right the archetype i mean and and in a way that um that is fun and and that's part of the genre but it's also doesn't it kind of limit this to the genre doesn't it may, mean that this story will never will never grow beyond the fantasy world or beyond the fantasy fans like the people that 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 when you sit down with this book it's kind of like 
a meal you already know how it's going to taste. Sure. Right? And you know where it's going to go. You're not going to be surprised by this book. And I think that that's part of the reason why the Game of Thrones books are so crazy and so um, sort of shocking and, 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 and have, have made it beyond the, the normal fantasy audience right. is because they'll, they kill their main characters and there's, no, there's not a moral center the way that there is like at this book. Like I know in this book um, that the character of Vin, who's, who's a sort of our hero, the, the mm-hmm. young girl, she's 16 and she's a street urchin and um, in this futuristic or fantasy alternative world and, um, and they're being held down. She's half ska, half noble person. Um, you kind of know that she's she's not going to die, you know? Like, you know that Vin's going to be... But I don't know I don't, that. I don't know that because, you know, yeah. I, I, are we gonna are we releasing spoilers here? Presuming that this book has sold 50 million copies, so who else could not know these things? So we'll give you a spoiler. <laughs> if, if you don't want to know about someone dying, stop listening for approximately two minutes. Okay. I, I wasn't positive that Kelsier was going to die. Yeah. Um, because he's such a badass and is the essentially the dual protagonist to the book that you know as as the book went on i was like well okay he has to die because marsh his brother has to rise up um in our minds as a as a character because he becomes even more badass but it, and he's also the mentor he's also the mentor yeah, so there, the there's that die. but he's a he is a he is <laughs> a conflicted he was young mentor and hot and funny so right and that's wait that's a second the thing. i'm sorry I, obi-wan <laughs> dies <laughs> Well, does he? Talk about spoilers. Uh, I was going to watch those next week. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he comes back as a ghost in in the Muppet movie. As long as it's Hayden Christensen's in it, I'm in. (laughs) But with Kelsier, so Kelsier is uh, Vin's uh, ad nauseum mentor on the fine art of the the metals. Can I just state for the record here? I, I... I cannot ever read again 200 pages of training someone on medals. I that I, See, I just so we should describe what that means to the plot. Can we describe what that means? Todd, do you want to give a brief example of what that means? So okay, so uh, they Vin and Kelsier and, and some other people can um, manipulate medals for different uh, magical powers, basically. And so there are well, they swallow the metals, swallow the medals. Right? So they have like trace metals in, the, in their bodies, and they can call them up. Um, and so there's ten there's like ten metals that they have. There's <laughs> copper, there's pewter, there's gold, there's all sorts of different things. But in order for Vin to understand how to use each of the different metals, what the author does is basically have two hundred pages of montage scene of, of Kelsier training her with every single metal. And I'm like, could we get some narrative summary? Could I just get and then he taught her copper. Could, could we just get that? For the love of all this holy I cannot read two hundred and fifty more pages and walking down the streets learning about the fucking metals. Say, you know what? Well, here's I gotta I have to devil's advocate this because I writer, I really like your um I mean, obviously, it's ridiculous. I will give you that. But (laughs) as Ryder is saying, every fantasy novel is, you know, it's a meal that you know. You know how it's going to look when it comes out on the plate. But, like, that's the flavor. Like, that's what makes it different. You know, it's like, ooh, okay, how does the world work? What are all these different things? How are they going to come into play? I mean, this is, I mean, this obviously is part of a trilogy or I guess there's an extra one now or something, but, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, this is, you got to invest in the metals, Todd, for it all to make sense. Oh, um, and I, yeah, and, Todd, I, I, and mean, I appreciate is... knowing how each of them work. Don't, don't get me wrong. I actually, I, I should state this at the top. I enjoyed the book. Um, I yeah. thought it was extraordinarily entertaining and I read it like I was, like I was eating popcorn. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah. But well, I think that, it's I just think that the, it's is... just the long training sequences where I was just like, sure. for God's sake, I don't like to work out. I don't want to watch this person work out. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Todd, I think we're getting at something that is very important to 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 the genre and and probably to genres in in general, which is that you um, there's a different type of pleasure. Yeah, like uh, it's not it's not narrative. It's not just narrative uh, pleasure. Like, that is that is a big part of this. There's also just sort of a, um, for lack of a better word, a, a geek pleasure mm-hmm. that comes from learning the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, learning that's true. That's true. the new system. It's sort of like when you learn to play <clears throat> a video game or when you learn to play Dungeons & Dragons or whatever. It's sort of like just 
like, oh, there's 10 medals. And you know, you're told up front, there's 10 medals. We're going to learn two today. Yeah. And then you kind of like, just learn what those two. And then like part of the pleasure, like when you're reading this book is not, you know, the narrative. It's just like, what are the next medals going to teach Vin to do? And like sort of you as a reader, vicariously learning that system. I like, totally it's a, agree. It's, it's, a, it's a weirder I don't know, and, and it's something that I don't think is mainstream. Like, I don't think no, that no. that type of pleasure works on everybody. It's no. something that you kind of have to, you know, get into and, and geek yeah. out on, for lack of a well, better word. Like, it, it, it also, it's one of those things where it, it really distinguishes the good fantasy writer from the great fantasy writer. Is it writer. a rigorous system, right? Well, you, like, well it's, there's there's two, I mean, every, every novel you read, no matter what it is, no matter what genre, it starts with the, the you know, literal and proverbial blank page. That's right. great. Fantasy starts with then two other subcategories where first you have to build the world, which is what fantasy writers talk about. You know, up might be down and left might be right in whatever world you're building. And if it's built well, that's great. But then there's another subcategory, which is not only you building the world, but then comes the magical system. And that's where you get into the nitty gritty nuts and bolts. There are better, I mean, I I would argue that Patrick Rothfuss, who's got an insane new series out, is two of three out so far. New York Times bestseller, it's all over the place. The first one was called Name of the Wind. He is a better writer than Brandon Sanderson. He writes beautifully. You're going over two or three paragraphs at a time. You're rereading them. I mean, he really is a gorgeous wordsmith. Yeah. But then you get somebody like Brandon Sanderson who can build a magical system where I sit there a lot of the times and I'll, I'll go, where the fuck did you come up with this? <laughs> yeah. You're burning metals. Yeah, and that's, the, and that's the, a pretty yeah. amazing this, idea. It really, it's really is. Cool, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I have to say, like, yeah, I like it, it better because, like, what I hate about like the Star Wars universe, for right. example, is that like the Jedi Force is just not. It's not very specific. No. It's just so like yeah. trust your feelings, and it's like <laughs> Luke can just do it. Yeah. And I'm like, good. Whereas like something like this, I kind of get into. I'm like, yeah, wow, all right, this kind of makes sense in a it's weird way. Cool, it's and hard. They can, yeah. It, yeah. There's like a challenge that, to the it. Fact they can that run the out. And are related to the pure mm-hmm. metals. Yeah. But you can yeah, point yeah, out yeah, and you can do all types of different I, things. I liked like fly, all that stuff. Jump. It was just, I, just as a reader, I was just like, sure. there's got to be a way to do this in quicker fashion. I agree, Todd. Because, uh, so uh, I'm going to mention this a hundred times, but uh, so Game of Thrones, I think, is the, for me, the best fantasy series that I've ever read because there is really very little exposition. You uh, are very confused for long periods of time because there's no... Mm-hmm training montages like that and when the magic does come in very late it's already there's there's many things in game of thrones where i'm like wait is this magic because the world is already so fleshed out that someone just does something and you're like oh i guess they can you know go into the mind of a dire wolf you know it's not something that they're like and now son what you have to do is close your eyes and think about (laughs) everything um so i Close your eyes and think about furry things? Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, never mind. We're not going to go off subject here. <laughs> never. Why would we ever do that? So, yeah. No, but I think Todd, yeah, Todd's right. Yeah. I mean, if they, this is the type of thing where if they make this into a film, that's the, the, the 90-second montage, three-minute montage, five-minute right. montage. But, but kind of what I like about this is that this would make a horrible film. Awesome. And that's what I like well, about wait, it. No, I mean, that's, yes. I saw that as a strength. Because to me, like, that was what was cool about this as a fantasy book, was that I I could visualize, like, the fight sequences, yes. But part of the joy of reading these action sequences were reading about internal stuff. Thank you. You know, like, the fact that he sw- that, that the characters swallow the metal, and he creates a system where it's all about internal emotional states that are very aptly described. That is a really cool fantasy yeah. magical mm-hmm. system that I, you know, it does, like, I don't know, I've never read Harry Potter, but as far as I can tell, they just... They leave the magical system kind of abstract. It, well, right? it's not. Like, a, it's also what would be referred to as an external magical system. Yeah. You say a, you say a word, you point a wand, big bright yeah, right, light. Right. That's I, you know, that doesn't that, looks that great on makes film. great film. Right. Yeah. Whereas and and I think Star Wars makes great on film yeah. because it's just feelings and yeah. telekinesis. Whereas this like the, it could only be a book, and that's what I really appreciated about it. Well, that's one of the things. If you want a great geek story, I actually so I emailed Brandon Sanderson after I started reading his stuff and he turned out to be a Thundercats fan. Oh my God. <laughs> so oh my he God. emailed me back and by the second email, a couple very cool things happened. The second email we, we should started... explain that Will is, oh, was I was, the voice of Lion-O on I was Lion-O on Thunder, Thundercats Home. I did not and, know um, that. Wow. So fun. he, 
Uh, he emailed me back and we started kind of an email thing because I asked him, I said, you've built all these beautiful worlds. Have you ever thought about building one strictly for animation? He said, well, I, I did some stuff in animation. But then the next thing he did was he sent me an unpublished manuscript from one of my favorite authors, mm. which I thought was the coolest thing in the world. He said, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Read this and give it, give it a shot. So I went and actually met him. He was at uh, doing one of his book signings and I went. And the first reason you know that you're at a fantasy book signing is there was at least 10 people there dressed in Mistborn clothes. <laughs> No I swear to God, you yes. walk in that and there's the people awesome. there wearing, it was just the greatest thing in the world. And I went and I asked him a question and that was it's exactly the question I asked. I said, you know, are you thinking about doing this as a show or a film? Because this seems to be an internal magical system. How the hell would you show this? And he said, you know, we've tried it. We were talking about it. We thought about making certain, he said, we wrote the script, a friend of mine and I, and we thought about making certain things glow and stuff like that. He goes, it just doesn't really work. And it just doesn't mm -hmm. because again, it is, it, it's all in. You know what are you gonna do? Are you gonna do the the crappy, you know, cutting to first person POV right. where everybody, you know, the hearing gets better when she burns tin, and you know, you start to see the blue lines. You, you can't. It'll just make it cheesy. No, it'll just look mm. like she's all powerful. Exactly. Yeah. So right. it's, there's just be an X Man, a, there's, basically. Right. Yeah, and it, so it just wouldn't work. So I agree with you. I love the fact that it's like, and, and Wheel of Time is the same way. Wheel of Time, which is the fourteen books long, it, it's been the the rights to Wheel of Time have been going around Hollywood since like 1990. Mm. They've been bought by every, and nobody can fucking do it. Yeah. Because first of all, it's 15, 14 or 15,000 page books. <laughs> so what, what, are we going to make 33 hour movies? Like how the hell are you going to do it? You well, can't. Actually, that's exactly what people want. Now. <laughs> well, of course. Studios are looking for. Well, of course, but they if they can- just churn them out one a year, like If Bond they film. can take The Hobbit and make three three-hour films I, out of a 320-page yeah, book. I know. They can't, they can't do it. They have to include every fucking song. Exactly. Yeah. That's hold, hold the on. way we, it I is. I need to ask Will an important question. Will, where do you fall in regards to The Hobbit on the singing? Do you have an opinion on the singing? I am one of those people where, okay, and this is, as a fantasy guy, this is, this is an interesting thing. I am the first one to stand up and say I, I am not a Lord of the Rings fan. Mm. Ooh. And see, this is the reaction you get from people. Well, no, because you don't like swords and, and sandals. No, things. no, that's not true because you turned me on to Dragonlance, and I thought Dragonlance was great. Yeah. I have, and, and again, you stand up with a bunch of fantasy people, and you go, hi, my name is Will Friedle, and I am not a fan of Lord <laughs> of the Rings. You get, everybody in the room goes, oh my God, how can you, and they start to throw bricks at you, and then you sit down. <laughs> And invariably, <laughs> as the day goes by, half of them walk up to you and whisper so no one else can hear, I'm with you. I don't like it either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where it's just, it's not my cup of tea. So to me, the singing made it better only because I got to envision Hobbit singing. And that makes everything better. <laughs> okay. Um, I just, I couldn't like get into it. You liked it. <laughs> I did, yeah, I, I couldn't, I just, it wasn't for me, I, I'm, I'm more the modern high fantasy guy, where I really, I like, Ooh, you know, high fantasy, is that a technical term? Yeah, well, that's, well, I don't know if it's technical, but yeah, yes, ask oh. Surrey, it's like Maidenhead, um, yeah. Yeah. so, no, I mean, I like, you know, we'll talk more about Mistborn, but I mean, again, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, dorky, geeky, magical systems, Brandon Sanderson, another book he does called Warbreaker is all about breath. And again, he likes to get into, we've talked, we touched on this a little bit, where he does like to get into the haves and the have-nots, kind of the bourgeois mm -hmm. lifestyle that's going on, and somebody else rising up. So in his other book, Warbreaker, which is, is a stand, what they call standalone in fantasy, where it is just one book, um, I liked it. People who are Sanderson fans weren't huge fans of it, but I really liked it, where it's all about the more power you had, the more money you had, the more breaths you could buy. Oh, that is and a cool more idea. Breaths you, yeah, it was. And the more breaths you held in your body... Colors looked brighter, food tasted better, things oh, wow. like that. But you could hmm. also expend breaths to, to turn things alive. Inanimate objects could become anim, you know, could could come come to life, become animate just from your breath. Not not you too could, dissimilar were, from my second favorite Justin Timberlake movie. I should note, In Time. Ooh, yes, no, that's I think a little different. People actually read Warbreaker. <laughs> I don't think anyone saw In Time. I don't think Justin Timberlake doesn't know how that movie. Ends. <laughs> So it, it, it is. It's one of those things that where it's you know, and, but he does the same kind of thing where you're you know the have-nots only have a certain number of breasts, but they can sell them on the street to, yeah. to to people with money, which make their lives worse, but they get some money to feed their family. So he often touches uses these really intricate, really amazing, really what I like to call again, how the fuck did you think of yeah. that yeah, yeah. magical system? Drugs, right? I mean, yeah, he must that's... do a lot. No, of he's drugs. a Mor no, he's a Mormon. Really? Yeah, he's, he's a BYU, a lot right? Of these 
Uh, yes, a lot of these fantasy writers are actually Mormons. Strangely, yeah. Enough. There's a we we talked because about a writer Brian Evanson <laughs> briefly on the show who uh, who writes sort of like who used to write I guess it's sort of high fantasy or dark fantasy and he got kicked out of the church and lost a job at BYU for the stuff he was writing. Wow. Who was this? Brian Evanson. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, again, they it's it tends to let Mormon writers for some reason tend to lend themselves to fantasy and sci-fi and well because they believe they're going to get their own planet after they die <laughs> well, well, but at the end of the hand in hand with you know i'm magical and there I'm goes our mormon audience for me to judge anybody's beliefs but how great would that be if at, on your deathbed you do give your your spouse a quest when you're going to die and you get your own planet come on well you have to wear magical underwear your entire life i do that anyway but that's just to be safe so I, I, I'm obviously I'm a uh, longtime listener, first time caller. How much do you guys actually get into the books themselves? Uh, well, usually more than this. We've been forty minutes. Well, we're we just even excited gotten... to talk about the genre because right. we've been holding off on it well, for so long. You know, my my question about the book that um, is maybe inherent to the um, to the form itself is that by about a hundred pages in, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Yes, and and so we talked about this a little bit as it related to horror books recently, and how after a certain age you're not really surprised by what's going to happen in a horror novel, and, and maybe you're not even all that scared because you know what's going to happen, you know what's around the corner, and you know most likely that the narrator's going to live. Um, so that that was one thing that you know, even though I found the book entertaining, I it fell along pretty predictable lines. And so, you know, I mentioned that sort of the montage training scene, but there's also sort of the montage of gathering up the, the team that, you know, here's, here's the expert in this, here's the expert in this, here's the expert in this, where maybe when I was 14 or 15 or 20, even I might've been like, okay, I I really want to know what all this is, but reading it now, it's like, that guy's going to die. That guy's going to die. That guy's going to (laughs) die. So right. that I found that sort of an interesting thing because I haven't read a huge fantasy novel like this in a really long time. Um, was the easy predictability of it, but then also the surprising um, humor and the the integration of other forms. So this is a caper novel, also, which I loved. That it's a caper, yes, yeah. loved it, loved it, and it's you know the amount of disembowelings I love. Um, <laughs> that Kelsier is such a badass and also is emotionally fraught and torn apart. I mean, that's that's taken from every you know antihero ever, and I love that. But so that's sort of my question, maybe Will, that you can that you can tackle is you must have known what was going to happen too. You've read a lot of this stuff, and you must know in a lot of fantasy novels what's going to happen. So is the enjoyment for you in a book like this living in the world, or is it also seeing the machinations of the plot? Um, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. It's one of those things where I, you know, you, you, I, I'm one of those people where, when it, especially when it comes to a fantasy novel, you're right. You, you know, essentially what's going to happen. You know the way that it's going to be. But at the same time, you know what's going to happen when you step on the roller coaster, too, but you still go on the ride. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those people where that's what I love. I love the ride of it. And again, I always go back to, you know, how difficult it might, you know, I, like you said, I'm, I'm not an not an author. I've never written a book. I've never attempted to read a book uh, to write a book. It's just I I couldn't do it. It's just not where my my mind goes. Um, but the idea of sitting down with that blank sheet of paper in front of me and being able to create something that nobody's thought of. Nobody. I mean, again, the the magical system in Mistborn is just it's so Same. out there yeah. that to me it's that creative force that really drives me. And then of course. Once I get over the golly gee, this is the coolest thing I've ever read when it comes to a fantasy novel, then I try to immerse myself completely in the world. And there are some fantasy authors where it's very easy to immerse yourself into the world. I think for uh, his his new series, Brandon Sanderson's new series, which is the first book I wanted you guys to read, but was 1,200 pages long, and Ryder absolutely forbade <laughs> me from, from allowing that to happen. And then I wanted Name of the Wind, which was uh, like, like 950 pages long, and he said, no, we can't, we can't do it. Um, but the Brandon Sanderson's novel that came uh, after this is called The Way of Kings, and it's book one of ten of the Stormlight series. Fucking Christ, man! So how, book two how is old coming is this out. Guy? Yeah. Is he like he's a little younger than me? I think thirty-five. Oh my god! Are you serious? Yeah, oh his god. first book came out I think when he was twenty-eight. Elantris came out when he was twenty-eight. There's something about so he's written all this is- stuff in the last seven years. Oh, not only that, but go on his website, and he's got these. Also, has a whole series of children's books. He also writes. This is what I love. If you're huge fans of these worlds, he will go on if he's just bored one day, and he'll just write a, a like a short story that takes place in one of these worlds and just throw it up on his website. Oh wow! 
That's so great. it's just, and he also he also has one of the things where again as a fantasy author, I think everybody should should do, which is if you're dying for the next book to come out, you go onto his website and he has progress bars for the books he's working on. I'm 65% oh. done with the second draft of this book. Uh, that would I'm that would give me done. such anxiety. Like every night I'd look at that bar and be like, "Oh fuck. Oh fuck." Oh man. But it's great. It's great you feel again, he makes you feel like you are part of of the people waiting for the world. He has what he calls his beta testers where, you know, he'll write certain chapters of books or things like that and then throw them to 20 of his fans and be like, what do you guys think of this? Mm. You know, so it's really cool. A lot. I mean, he really, he's one of the first writers, one of the real first fantasy writers that I found. And I don't, you guys know a lot more about, you know, quote unquote literature than I do. So there, there might be other authors that are like this, but really brings his fans in to the world, to everything he's doing. Here's the progress I'm going on. Here's where I am. He's constantly doing book signings. He's, he, again, I wrote him an email and he wrote back. It was like a day later. Um, yeah. And I know that there's a lot of fantasy writers that do that, that now will put things up on their, their websites kind of saying, like Patrick Rothfuss just put something up that just said, he's like, look, I've spent so much time writing all my fans back that I know you guys keep asking when the next book is coming out. Well, it's going to be difficult for me to finish it if I have to keep writing back to yeah. all the fans. So I'd appreciate it if maybe you blah, 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 blah. Right. But they do. I think that's great. But I, I also feel like there's <laughs> the the fantasy fan community has gotten accustomed to this um like a very intimate relationship and i i i know that you know and it like a statement had to be issued where it's like george r r martin is not your bitch you can't tell him when to finish the books <laughs> right and you know do they make t-shirts for that i would i would wear that t-shirt <laughs> uh which you know, it's it's such a double edged sword because ha fantasy reference. Um, <laughs> Jesus, um, nice. It, yeah, because I, I agree that baby. it's really neat to bring to bring fans in. But I mean, these poor writers. I mean, what if they suddenly want to tear the walls out or stop? You know. So, Will, let's talk about the details that you want to talk about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, again, it's it to me. It's the overall. I just was very happy when I spoke to Ryder when I, you know, I talked about you guys and and he was talking about everything and I was listening to the stuff. I just kind of, as the fantasy geek, wanted to make just say, all right, let's. You guys got to read something fantasy. Right. Um, and uh, again, this this wouldn't have. I'm glad this is the first one we picked because again, I think the magical system is is wonderful in this book. I think it's well written. His writing gets gets better. Uh, Way of Kings and some of his later books, the yeah, writing itself gets better. writing itself is just kind of serviceable. Yeah, you know yeah. what it's I mean. Like it just exactly. got, it was not distracting at all. But and it, you know, in the way that like reading Twilight. Fifty Shades of Grey or you know, it's, right. it's distracting how horrible. It, no, this is this is it's perfectly serviceable. But I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I would ever. Well, be that like, see, oh, that person captured something. You know, and that's where somebody people are now saying that somebody like Patrick Rothfuss it might have now really changed the game again mm. because he a lot of I think serviceable is a good word a lot of the Robert Jordans of the world and and Brandon Sanderson and everybody it's good it, it, it's good writing you know it's not you're not sitting there reading the book or immersed in the world for the eloquence of the words on the page you're there because it's the world itself and but all. you haven't read Game of Thrones I have read Game oh, of Thrones oh you have I have what do you think of those you don't like them I am not a huge Game of Thrones fan why not um I thought the first couple books were great until it became a television show, and then I thought the last two books were written because he wanted it to be easy to be adapted to a television mm. show. That's how I kind of read them. Um, I didn't get into all the characters. I, I, again, I thought they were good, but I, to me, there there isn't. It's almost like there isn't enough fantasy in that fantasy mm -hmm. for me to yeah, enjoy it well, the way that. See, I, that's kind of what I love about it. Sure, <laughs> honestly, sure. Is that that it, to me, you know, the second, um, and I hope, I mean this isn't given that much away because it happens within the first uh, couple chapters of the first book and in the first episode of the, the show. Like, they when they when they kill, when the, the nine-year-old falls, right, in the beginning of that the book, and the, mm -hmm. when he ran, Bran. falls. And, and pushes like, Bran off the top, gets yeah. Pushed, and you're, like, following this character, and you're like, what? Yeah. You know, like, they're going to kill yeah. a kid, like, yeah. or, you know, seriously wound a kid that quickly. Yeah. It's, um, it was, like, the first indication to me that there, there are no rules. Yeah. And, and that is really important to me in a way that, like, we were talking about this book, I kind of knew what was going to happen. Sure. I knew that they were, and it's, it's not just knowing what's going to happen in terms of plot, like, oh, a character's going to ascend from being a street urchin to being the savior of the world, but also a, um, a 
sort of fairy tale moral center mm-hmm. where it's like okay there's a there is a a good and a there's a right and a wrong sure. there's a good and a bad in sure. this case right off the bat you know that the nobles rape their the ska right. they kill them right. they beat them right. that's so heavy-handed in the first like chapter of this book that um but then he brings it back that's the thing is that's the thing is he hates all the nobles and it's vin the street urchin who shows him that they're not all they're right. not all bad. They're right. not sure. all like that, you know? right? But I mean, that when you start with such an extreme, pulling it back, sure. like you know, from ten to eight is not that big of a deal. Yeah, but Whereas couldn't you in, argue pushing a little kid off of a tower and paralyzing him is starting with an extreme? Yeah, but but what's great about the Game of Thrones book is that those the character who pushes him off, who you think is going to be the villain, right? Right. By book four, you're actually rooting for him, and that's I, what I love about the Game of Thrones book is that to me they break the rules of fantasy, not yeah. not. In terms of systems of magic or sis, but they break the rules in terms of the moral universe. Yeah. Like you, it's really chaotic. Like you don't know who you're rooting for. You don't know who's good or bad. It's just who's in power right. and who's not. Yeah. And that to me is much closer to the real world in a moral way that like Mistborn is not. Well, like, hold on. I, I, is... I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Ryder, because yeah. there's, there is that. So throughout the book, you get, um, samples from the Lord ruler. Who's the big evil in the book, basically his memoir. You get samples of it throughout and right. you find out that he started out as a good guy in essence and mm-hmm. was, was poisoned by his own power, which is of course, you know, not all that unusual, but what the characters recognize in the book and what Todd technically that's not true but that you that's Maybe not well did not, you finish I mean, it, it's the it's the supposition that Vin has at least initially yes. right how, yeah, yeah, how yeah, does yeah, he yeah. go from this to this yeah I, I read the book but <laughs> but that's a good point but that's a that, but to me that's it's a reassertion of the moral universe by the end of the book you're back to where you you started which is that I, I evil still I, evil I don't want to give too much away don't spoil it we know, think, but we're not going to tell you. Right. I, I, right. I just, I think, that, <laughs> I think there's a there's a clear right and wrong in a way that like the Game of Thrones throws that out the window, and and yeah. and part of the the genre is is that moral center. Like we, that's part of the fun of the genre is that mm-hmm. it is it's it's it's. I don't want to say safe, but it is. It's kind of safe in that well, way. Like, yeah, that's not the thing that they're going to fuck with. Game like, of Thrones also is, it has the moral compass of a modern day soap opera. Right. Yeah. Where you, you hate the guy who's sleeping with his sister on episode one, but in episode five, he's got amnesia, and now you're rooting for him to get back and sleep <laughs> with his sister again. Right. You know what I, but you know what I mean? Now it's I like, to worry it does, about what my life has been. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's the thing. is That's why I, Game of Thrones, I think, is read for the characters, and it's read for that soap opera, where yeah. I would argue, as, as a high fantasy fan, the greatest high fantasy books that are out there and series that are out there can't easily be translated to television. Mm-hmm. Whereas Game of Thrones can be because it's all character driven. It's really but, not about but, a magical but system. Really well developed characters. Oh, in the way that like Mistborn, it's like you know when you have characters like Breeze and yeah, and, you know course. Lumpy Damn. and Farty. And yeah, it's like it's just so <laughs> like that's who they are. Yeah. It's like you know Farty was a genius character yeah. first of all. But you know it's he like, used like the like twelfth metal. It's like the team is building together. It's like well you kind of know where these guys are going to go, course. and they always will represent that one thing. And like if somebody's going to be a double crosser you kind of right. know from the mm-hmm. moment they walk onto the the scene and I, I that that lack of nuance is part of the genre it's part of the fun i know? agree and I that would, goes back to a tolkien tradition it does more like a, well, i would it goes also further s- than that i mean i think you know we said this almost way at the beginning is you know the origin of fantasy is fairy tale mm-hmm. you know i just right. saw yeah. There, and there's pleasure in the patterns, you know. I just yes. saw the other day, um, I saw Frozen, which is really good for a Disney movie. And, you know, that's because it's adapted from a freaking weird Danish fairy tale. And there's so As many As opposed to the normal Danish fairy tales. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're so normal. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, it's, it's funny because, I, I mean, it's been in my... I have the song stuck in my head, so this is not surprising, but... Um, you know, it bears a lot of similarities. As you were saying earlier, Will, it's like all about, you know, controlling your feelings and the impact that that has on other people around you. And, you know, this, it's, I think fantasy can feel childish and plot driven and repetitive because it's watching these tropes play out in different configurations is pleasurable. I mean, that's right. why we yeah. like to read them.
Uh, I, I would also say that the thing that I love about this is a lot of the things that you're talking about and the things we're discussing and, and certain, la I would agree with the building the team and certain kind of almost lack of character development. Yeah. I would say that with, with certain fantasy books, this one included because it is part of a trilogy, it would be like stopping in the uh, any other regular book at the end of act one and saying the characters haven't been developed enough. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. this is book one of three. So by the time the trilogy is done... But it's 650 pages. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, like, that's if fine. If you could develop a character... Next like, one's longer. Well, just, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting <laughs> because what we're talking about is, is different types of complexity, right? Like, one, one type of complexity is, uh, uh, is character complexity or moral complexity. And I think Game of Thrones... Yeah. Uh, traffics in that Very whereas so. a book like this traffics in a kind of a different type of complexity it's like we're not gonna buy we are gonna give you like you're saying julia the the basic pattern of a of a fantasy story yeah but we're gonna make the the system of magic really complex or or the way that because this this book mistborn tracks a huge rebellion mm -hmm. like it basically upturns yeah. the the rulership you know they're yeah. they're fighting to overthrow an entire system of rulership yep. that's been in place for thousands of years or hundreds of years. So, um, so there's a there's a complexity to the military military takeover right. that they're trying to do, or like right. the heist, like mm -hmm. you were saying, Todd. So, so there there's there it's a different type of complexity, yeah. and um, to me, that type is frankly just less interesting do you know it's yeah, just it, not as it's just like and i but i think that that's part of the pleasure of this genre yeah. is that yeah. you know i'm not going i'm going to read a set of characters that are not going to threaten my moral universe that are not going to be more than but they're going to titillate my brain in these other ways do you, it's I weird... do. well if you want to if you want to get into the i want my i want my morals just thrown all over the place yeah. then you're going to want to read terry goodkind's okay. uh, sort of truth series all right oh, yeah. which is it's Her one of those things great. where to, it's it's very good, but it's the first and only time I've ever read a series by an author who obviously has a serious sexual fetish. Mm. <laughs> and they, and, uh, no, I mean it's there. Are those books you know, available these, on Kindle? They're, 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 yeah, you got to write that down. There are characters in there called the Mord Sith, where they're just women who are dressed in one tight leather outfit that's red from the top to the bottom that have these little sticks that just tie men to the wall and torture oh, them. Oh yeah. And yeah. it's just you're like reading that. this yeah. just going and but it's all about the moral the moral kind of compass and right. you lose some of the complexity of the magical system because he's always right. constantly going off in these weird sexual Does does he have an interactive website? <laughs> Not, I'm sure he does. You know what, you know what my favorite part of the book is uh, surprisingly uh it, it's the it, and it's part of the team building part but it's when they're he's gathering all the people together and he's literally writing on a chalkboard exactly what everyone's <laughs> going to do how funny is that? <laughs> it's really but funny that's what I mean. it's very systematic right? yeah like this book is incredibly systematic by page 100 they are writing on a chalkboard all the things they're going to do to overthrow the government <laughs> right. yeah. and then they do them yeah. yeah it's like it's just it's just playing it up on page 100 is laid out for you yeah and what you're watching is like i'm going to train Vin, and then like you say, right. for 200 pages he trains Vin. This metal does this. You'll learn about the next metal tomorrow. And yeah. then you turn the page and it's tomorrow, and she's learning it about is, the next right. metal. It's George Clooney, it's all of them in, in yeah. Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven, right? I on totally the thought We've of Ocean's take Eleven. Over I was this like, this is the, the Ocean's Eleven scene. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah, it That's is. so it's, funny. It's Except great, no one but... in Ocean's Eleven is named Ham. Oh, that's a good point. This is true. To his detriment. <laughs> this is true. Absolutely. Ham and Breeze, and then the character writer invented Farty, but we don't meet until book two. Schlumpy and Farty. Schlumpy and it's, farty. it's when Mistborn had a crossover episode with the, the Seven Dwarves. Exactly. And there's a Mogwai all of a sudden, and all that good kind of stuff. Sleepy and Farty, and Grumpy and Breeze. All right. Well, I'm glad I read all 650 pages, considering we barely talked about the details. <laughs> that means I get to come back. Yay! Yeah, well, but I think we—I mean, I, I, we all enjoyed the book, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah, did anybody? Yeah. yeah. It's—it's it's just a diff. It's a distinct type of uh, enjoyment. Like it's not. It is. I wouldn't. I you know I wouldn't even put this in the same category as like a lot of books that we've read on this show. It's it's a different. I don't know. You know, and and it's fun. And it's fast. You yeah. know, you read through it. It, it. It's interesting that length seems to be part of it. It, they, like, they are. Yeah. That's the blow. It, it long for a reason. Like, that's but part of the genre. I, I think yeah. it's part of the pleasure, too. I mean, these are yeah. the kind yeah. of books, like, I like to read something. I was so happy because, as I discussed in our last episode, I just read a book, a nonfiction book, about a whale ship sinking and a bunch of people eating each other. And 
then I get to read this, and it's like you sink into this. Mm-hmm. It's like taking a bubble bath or something. It's very pleasurable, and I'm actually yeah. glad that we didn't, you know, spoil ninety percent of the book because I think that with fantasy, just you the truly biggest plot do points. ruin it. <laughs> yeah, I think you truly, truly do ruin it if you go point by point and break it down like right. a, a real geek. Well, you know what? Yeah. I, I I actually I found myself really enjoying it, but I also I I turned off the the critic and it's hard for me to turn off the critic i review yeah. so yeah, many books too. that i i, had to, I, had to shut I have to turn it off i turn off the critic i turned off the i'm going to read this and find something emotionally edifying and i just experienced it like um like a popcorn movie like i was saying earlier and and if you turn off all that stuff and just sort of re-inhabit the the kid who read solely to go on an adventure for pleasure to, and and you weren't aware of all the steps of the hero's journey it's great. It's a yarn, and it's funny, and it's weird, and there's outlandish violence and cool magic and a horrible love story. And uh, just can, can we just talk just for one moment? Yes, yes, we should, just, we should. just for one moment. I swear to fucking God, if I read another scene that takes place in a ballroom at a cotillion dance amongst noblemen and a magic girl, I'm gonna fucking kill myself. <laughs> So then wow. book two, ballroom, 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 isn't going to be your favorite. No. <laughs> Interesting. Mistborn, strictly, strictly ballroom. <laughs> well, good pick, Will. Good job. I, I, Thank you. you know, let me this just, was a great discussion. Let me put this honestly. out there, guys. Uh, and I feel like Will's going to be on this 100%. I, I feel like we might need to have a fantasy correspondent. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. I can't you wait to meet him. <laughs> I would do that in a second. Are you yeah, kidding? what we should do is just check in with Will like every couple episodes, yes. like find out what, what he's reading. And, and I'd be like, uh, how's book 19? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm still on book 31. <laughs> They're still in the ballroom, Todd. <laughs> They're eating deviled eggs and planning the rebellion. And that's it for this episode of Literary Disco. Join us in two weeks when we take on foodie culture with Dana Goodyear's Anything That Moves. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and thanks for listening. So, so crazy.